0: We are about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. All right, praise the Lord. All right, hallelujah. All right, we started um, two Wednesdays ago. And we started discussing tips for Bible study. That's how to study the Bible, right? And um, we, we, we've titled the teaching series, Rightly Divided. And the running anchor text, the Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there is a word of truth. And there is a right way to divide the word of truth. All right, and then the Bible says that if a man does not rightly divide the word of truth, then he is a workman that needs to be ashamed. The one that doesn't need to be ashamed is the one who actually rightly divides it. Hallelujah! I said Hallelujah. And so, what are we doing in this teaching series? We are basically learning how to rightly divide this word of truth praise jesus praise jesus and i remember i've taught you i have taken you through a couple of things i've told you how the bible yet last week wednesday we discussed can the bible be trusted can we trust the bible that's what we talked about on wednesday and we we found out that we could we could trust the bible well, I told you this, this Wednesday today would actually start with how to study the Bible. The basic principles you need to know. But a couple of things are worthy of notes before, note, before you start studying the Bible. And of the first of which is the Bible was written to be understood. The Bible was written to be understood. If you can flip the Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 4. Ephesians 3, 4. So the first thing you need to note is that the Bible was written to be understood. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 4. Are you there? It says whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Praise the Lord. So Paul is saying that the reason he is writing to the church in Ephesus is so that they can understand what exactly it is that he's. He, he's he, they can understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ this tells you that he didn't write it to be vague he wrote it to be understood I know growing up a lot of times we heard I don't know you probably heard the pastor say this that you can never fully understand everything in the Bible well guess what that's not true the Bible was written to be understood if you also go to Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 all right turn your bibles this is bible study this is bible school second corinthians all right second corinth chapter 1 from verse 13 to 14 are you there are you there well praise the lord corinthians 1 13 to 14 says for we write no other things to you than what you read or acknowledge and I trust that you shall acknowledge even to the end. And also, you have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord. What Paul is saying, that word acknowledge here is the word epignosis, to come into a full understanding, an accurate knowledge of something. He's saying that the things we write to you, we are writing it so that you can read it and understand. you understand? He's saying that the things I write, I write that you may read and understand. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. I think if you read that translation, if you read that Bible verse from the ESV, um, from the ESV, you would understand it a little bit clearer. He's saying, I'm writing to you that you may read and understand. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. So the first thing worthy of note is that the Bible is or was written to be understood. The next thing is that the most important way to learn about Bible interpretation And revelation knowledge is to be taught by a teacher. The most important way to learn about Bible interpretation and revelation knowledge is to be taught by a teacher. So God will have you read, understand, and be taught by a teacher. Not the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. When Jesus was saying he will guide you into all things or he will teach you all things. He wasn't actually talking about doctrine. And I've taught you this when we're talking about um, the work of the Spirit. I told you how the teaching of the Spirit is not, is not, he doesn't present new information. But rather, he reminds you, he explains himself. He will remind you of all the things that you have been taught. Do you understand? So he will remind you. That's what the Holy Ghost does. He reminds us. So, for example, you read in the Bible, you've been taught by a teacher that, all the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. But then sometimes you don't feel that peace. Sometimes you don't feel at peace. And then you go to pray, and what happens? The Holy Ghost reminds you about that peace. Praise the Lord. But the most important way to learn about Bible interpretation and revelation knowledge is to be taught by a teacher. If you look through many portions of Scripture... You would understand this in Acts chapter eight, verse twenty-seven to thirty-one. You have this where where, um, I think it was Philip that went to join that chariot. So there was there was an Ethiopian eunuch, all right, who was going from one place to another. He was reading from the book of Isaiah, and the Bible says that as he was reading, Philip heard him, and the Holy Ghost said to Philip, "Go join that chariot." Now, why didn't the Holy Ghost appear to the Ethiopian eunuch or start to explain that scripture to the Ethiopian eunuch? Because the Holy Spirit was not designed to teach revelation, knowledge, or doctrine. That's the work of man. God has given that responsibility to man. So the best way to come about Bible knowledge is man. Do you see? So Philip went to this Ethiopian eunuch and said to him, Do you understand what you are reading? And this man said, How can I understand if no one teaches me? And then Philip, the Bible tells us that Philip began to explain how these things were concerning the Christ. Then when the man had learned all these things, he said, well, now that I believe, what is stopping me from being baptized? Do you see? So it took the work of a man. Praise Jesus. It took the work of a man to get him to know. Bible knowledge comes from men. The teachings of men. When men properly and accurately interpret the Bible, what you have the resultant effect is proper Bible teaching. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Another place you need to look at Ephesians chapter four, from verse eleven to fourteen, he um, um, says he gave gifts to men. To some he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we come to the unity of the faith. He says to the full knowledge, to, um, to the mature stature, to the full knowledge of the image of Christ. He says that we no longer being tossed, to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So, how do we get to that point when we are no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? We get to that point when we reach accurate teaching. And how do we get to accurate teaching? He gave gifts to men apostles, evangelists, pastors, prophets, teachers. He says for the equipping of the saints. So, who will equip the saints? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, men. Do you see that? Do you see that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 2 Timothy, in, in, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Acts 2 42. He says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. Take note. In the apostles' doctrines. That is in what the apostles had taught them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. Do you see that? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse Um, Paul speaking to Timothy says to him that the things that I have said to you before many um, witnesses said commit also unto faithful men who will be able to teach others. Hallelujah. So the, the hierarchy of the transference of knowledge is Paul taught Timothy. Timothy is supposed to teach faithful men. These faithful men, why are they called faithful men? Because they will preserve the originality of the message. As it was handed down, they will be faithful enough to say, this is what was said. I will say it like it was said. I will do it like it was done. I will step out of line. So they would preserve the originality of the message. And then what would what they do? They would teach other people. That's how God designed for knowledge to be passed down. God didn't design for knowledge to be taught by the Spirit. Are you learning something today? Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. So Christianity is a historic faith. It must be handed down. It must be handed down through men. In first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. Paul says that we should take our stand on the gospel that we have heard. Do you understand? And in verse 2, he says, because this is the gospel as it was passed down to him. That Christ died according to scriptures. Or he was buried according to scriptures. He 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 died. He, on, on the third day, he rose again according to scriptures. And he was seen of many. First of Sephard, then the twelve. Then he, he mentioned five hundred. Then me, as one who was as the last born. Do you understand? So Paul is saying that the gospel was handed down. Peter the twelve, these people saw him and he says, this is the gospel I received. I have declared it to you. That's Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 4. Are you there? So you see, the gospel should be handed down. The knowledge of scripture should be handed down. through men. When a man wakes up to say that the Holy Ghost taught me this and his doctrine, he proceeds to tell you. You see, the Holy Ghost teaches us things. You see, there, there, there are wise ways of living that the Holy Ghost can introduce to you. Do you understand? The Bible tells us that he helps us to pray because we know not what to pray as we ought to. So the problem is not that we don't know how to pray but what to pray. The Holy Ghost in that moment will teach you what to pray. He'll bring, he will bring to your knowledge what to pray. Do you see? So the Holy Ghost can teach you. But when it comes to doctrine and revelation knowledge the Holy Ghost doesn't teach that. So when the person comes and say what I'm about to teach you now, the Holy Ghost taught me directly and nobody else. That's wrong. You should be You should be weary of such talk. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Praise Praise Jesus. All right. Another thing that that is worthy of note. I think this is the third thing that is worthy of note in interpreting the Bible. Is that the Bible is progressive in revelation. The Bible is progressive in revelation. What is the meaning of the word progressive? It means that it increases. It grows in an increasing manner. That means the previous was less than the next. So this means that revelation in the Old Testament is less accurate than revelation in the New. And like I've always said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. I'll say that again. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. This is why, if you read through the Bible, it looks like, god had a multiple personality so in the old testament he was one type of way i mean breathing fire and brimstone here and there doing things anywhere and anyhow but when it comes to the new testament that like he just changed and then a lot of people ask what changed what actually changed was not the personality of god but what actually changed was a better understanding of who he is when you are much younger you touch your parents you're wicked Oh, you thought they were very wicked. You thought they were out for your doom. You thought that they did not care about what will make you happy in life. Right? Because when you go and steal meat from the pot, your mother is going to beat you. And then if she beats you, she's like, well, then you will go, let me tell you, one thing that must have happened to every African kid is that at some point you will pack your things and say you are leaving the house. You are running away from home. So <laughs> I'm not doing it again. They will wake up and they will not see me again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because they hate me in this house. Listen, at another point, you say, I'm not even sure I'm you I'm sure I'm adopted. Because if I'm, if I'm their real son, they will not beat beating me like this. You know, you actually believed that they hated you. But what happened? You grew up. And in, with growth comes maturity, and with maturity comes progressive understanding. So now, if you have a, if a, if you have a younger one, maybe when you were in, in secondary school, now you're a little bit more mature, so you know why you should be beaten if you steal. You have a younger one, a six-year-old, who steals something. You're like, ah, no, mommy will beat you. And you will say, mommy will beat you. Not because you are wicked, but because you know, you deserve to be beaten for stealing. You deserve to be punished for stealing. You understand? A lot of people, a lot of people always wonder, will I, will I beat my children? I always say that I hope I don't. <laughs> I really pray not to. I don't want to do that. But there are some things. Did you see the video of that young man that that used a hammer to break his parents' TV? So he took the hammer and broke. And the parents were begging, white people, of course, it can't be an African child, white people. The parents were begging him, don't do that, don't be like that, don't break the TV. He was saying, no, I said, no TV in this house. And (laughs) and he broke the TV. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. Ah. I like to imagine that in such a moment, I will hug him and say, talk to me, what's the problem? I like to imagine, but that's not what will happen. But I like to imagine that, that that will happen. But the idea is that knowledge is progressive. And so even in the Bible, knowledge is progressive. The way we see God, the way we understand God, the way we interact with God is Progressive. The Bible teaches us so. So if you're going into Bible study, if you're going to study the Bible, this is one piece of information you must be armed with. That knowledge is progressive. I've seen people pray that, oh, the God of the Old Testament, power as of old. You missed the point. The power as of old is not as great as the power that is in the new. why that? In the Old Testament, Elijah could call down fire, and Elijah could do this, and Elijah called out um, two shebe and they destroyed 42 children. Jesus Christ rebukes that kind of behavior. He rebuked it. When, when the sons of thunder went into a city and they chased them out of that city, they came to Jesus and said, "Let us call down fire on this city." Listen, if Elijah was in Jesus' shoes, Elijah would tell them, "Hold my beer." They proceed to call down massive fire on the city. Because that's what he knows to do. You see? He said, let us call down fire on this city. And what did Jesus say to them? Jesus said to them, you don't know what spirit you are of. Which means there's a different way to act now. Your knowledge should have grown beyond that behavior. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, it says, an an eye for an eye, an ear for an ear, one tooth for another tooth. But in the New Testament, Paul says, is it not better if you just let them steal your thing and go? Jesus says, if someone slaps, you turn the other cheek. Is it a difference, God? No, revelation is progressive. And so knowledge is progressive. Don't say the New Testament says um, forgiveness, but the Old Testament says an eye for an eye. So I, in my sovereignty, I will choose to not forgive because the Old Testament says an eye for an eye. It tells you that forgiveness is a better way to go. You see that? All right, so let's go straight into tips for proper Bible interpretation. Tips for proper Bible interpretation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I told you this um, teaching series has no definite time frame. If we finish it in six weeks, praise God. If we finish it in five weeks, hallelujah. So I'm not going to rush. Amen? Amen. Alright, the first tip for proper Bible interpretation is always interpret literally unless you have a valid reason to do so. Always interpret literally Unless you have a valid valid reason to do otherwise, rather. Always interpret literally unless you have a valid reason to do otherwise. And one, let me tell you, the Holy Ghost told me it's not a valid reason to not follow the rules of Bible interpretation. Do you understand? Do you know that in every other written literature, we follow these rules. Because when I say rules of Bible interpretation, a lot of people say, who made the rules? Common sense made the rules. <laughs> Alright? Academics made the rules. You don't open a comprehension textbook. Remember comprehension from secondary school days? You don't open a comprehension textbook. In your, if you read, you know, if we read our comprehension texts in Waek, the way we read our Bible, a lot of people will fail. So, Kojo took the Milo and went away. See, Kojo took the Milo there's a revelation in this me low. If I'm going to go away, I have to be low. Hallelujah. So, what is this? What could you take to go away? Then so you're not writing a whole essay. The Greek word for me low there represents going low, being humble. Hallelujah. So if I'm going to be low, that's when I will go away. You will fail. You will fail woefully. Do you understand? <laughs> and some of it's funny, but this is where a lot of people read their Bibles. This is the way a lot of people read their Bibles. Now it is a joke when we say, Lord, I will be with you always. If if God is going to be with you, you have to be low. But do you know that it's actually a sermon that people preach? It says, Lord, I will be with you always. That means it's only in humility that you find the presence of God. Sounds nice, right? the, The statement is true. The interpretation of the Bible is poor. Very poor. Because if you just use another translation that is not KJV, you can't derive the same thing from the same verse. You literally can't. Hallelujah. So we've got to do better. Always interpret literally unless you have a valid reason to do otherwise. If the plain obvious sense of scripture is intelligible, accept it. Don't look for extra. If it is intelligible, accept it. Hallelujah. Alright, so let me give you instances to bypass literal interpretation. Instances to bypass literal interpretation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Before that, before that look at Second Corinthians chapter 4. From verse 1 to 2. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 2. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 2. Are you there? He says, therefore, seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Look at that. Paul says we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. There is a deceitful way to handle the word of God. And a lot of us, are, we are culprits. He says, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but, manifest, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We don't handle the word of God deceitfully. You don't twist the scripture to mean what you want it to mean. No matter how good, and no matter how good your intentions are, you don't twist the scripture to mean what it doesn't mean. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. It is deceitful to know that this is what the obvious meaning is, but you want to draw another meaning. That you cannot corroborate anywhere else is deceitful. Hallelujah. Alright, instances. I have so many scriptures to read to you. You know what, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, 17. 2 Corinthians 2, after this I will give instances to bypass literal interpretation. Alright, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 verse 17. Are you there? He says, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. He says, for we are not as many. He's saying there are many people who corrupt the word of God. Choose which camp you want to belong to. Do you want to belong to the camp of people who know that this is exactly what the word of God is saying, but you corrupt it. Or do you want to belong to the camp of people who stick to the veracity, the truthfulness, and the sincere, accurate interpretation of the word? I'd rather be in the second camp. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in the second one. I told you the other day that the truth of the word of God, or the power of the word of God, is in its unchanging nature. The day you change the word of God to mean something, it doesn't mean you strip it of its power. And you do exactly what the devil does. Because you see, the children of the devil know how to twist the Bible. The devil didn't come tempting Jesus Christ with rap lyrics. Are you hearing me? He didn't come tempting Jesus Christ with physical things. Not literally. His strategy was to twist the scripture. That's exactly how he came tempting Adam too. He twisted the scripture. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's such an honor for God's word that you must have as a believer. And this honor will show itself in literal interpretation. Unless you have a valid reason to go against that literal interpretation, don't. So I'll wrap up the service because midweek services are supposed to last one hour, but I can do the teaching for three hours. Um, instances to bypass literal interpretation. Instances to bypass literal interpretation. Instances to bypass literal interpretation. Are you there? Number one, when the text asks you to. That word asks is very difficult to pronounce. I remember the other day I was talking with my wife and I said ask this. When the text asks you to. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. When the text asks you to. Alright, let's see. um, Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. Are you you learning something? Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. So we are looking at instances when to bypass Literal interpretation. So, how do you know that? Oh, I, I shouldn't interpret this literally. Number one, when the text asks you to. So, Colossians two fifteen to seventeen says, "And having power, principalities, and powers, he made a show openly of them, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. And it says, which are a shadow of things to come." but the substance is of Christ, or the body is of Christ. I'll take that again from verse 15. And having small principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, of the new moon, all right, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So, Paul is telling you here that meat, the laws around meat, the laws around drinking, the law in the respect of the holy days. So, the Jews had about seven holy days. No, 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 no. That's wrong. Seven festivals, but different holy days. So, the Jews had all these holy days. I mean, you have the Hanukkah, you have the Bar Mitzvah, you have the celebration of the Passover, the Feast of Festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles. You have the days when they brought in the tithes. The Jews had all these great days, right? And then... All these days, if you didn't keep the holy days, they would consider you an outlaw. You know, somebody who was rebellious to the system. He says, um, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day of the new moon. So they had this um, ceremony that they did on the day of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. Remember the Bible says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Do you understand? So don't walk on that day. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, don't eat meat. Don't do, I, know, I know a particular sect of Christians who till today want to keep the Sabbath day, even if they are not Jews. They want to keep the Sabbath day. All right? Well, Paul tells you that all those things are a shadow of things to come. So anywhere I see talk about the Sabbath, I'm allowed to not interpret it literally. Why? Paul tells me it's a shadow. The substance is Christ. you see? So I'm allowed to bypass literal interpretation on those matters. On matters of ordinances. That's what Paul is telling you. Praise the Lord. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Are you there? Verse 9 to 11. Draw your sword. 1 Corinthians 9. 9 to 11. Praise the Lord. All right, look at this. It says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that, thread, that treadeth out the corn. Hallelujah. Does God take care for oxen, or saith he, or, or he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that, that, um, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that dreadeth, um, that thresheth rather, In hope should be the partaker of his hope. Verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? A lot of Christians don't like to read this portion of scripture. A lot of people don't like it. Hallelujah. But it's in the Bible, so we'll talk about it. So Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, well, the Bible says that you shouldn't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Do you understand? So he, he quotes a portion of the Old Testament. And then he now says, well, do you really think that God is talking about oxen there? That's cows and, you know, beasts of burden. Do you really think God is talking about all those things? He says, no. Contrary. God is talking about the laborers in his vineyard. That's the spiritual laborers, the apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. All right. He's talking about these people, ministry gifts, people who labor over you. He says, he says, that the person who um plowed should plough in hope, and that the one that treasures in hope should be the partaker of his hope. He now goes on to explain himself clearly. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, shouldn't we also reap your carnal things? That is, if we've given you a spiritual blessing, if we've taught you, if we've prayed for you, prophesied into your life, watched over you spiritually, then your carnal things should be done in return for that. And carnal things will refer to material gifts. Materials. This is what Paul is saying in First Corinthians chapter 9. Right? In that position, Paul is telling you that the discussion around oxen is not literal, but figurative. Do you see that? It's not literal, but figurative. Alright, the second instance to bypass literal interpretation. Um, number two. See the text as figurative when it obviously is. See the text as figurative when it obviously is. So let's look at John chapter 15. From verse 1 to 5. I think it's 1 to 5. Let me see. Yeah, John chapter 15. I, I, we don't even need to get to this 5. Let's just read verse 1. Alright. John 15, 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman." I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, let's focus on verse 1. I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Well, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, is he talking about plants? Is he talking about literal plants? That he's the plant divine? No, no, no. No. Obviously, he was speaking figuratively. Another instance would be John chapter 14, verse 6. That's just the chapter before. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. When, when Jesus says, I am the way, does it mean that he's a tarred root or cement root or death root? No. It literally means that he's the access. All right? He is the access. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So he was speaking figuratively. Mark chapter 4 from verse 1 to 13. Jesus calls himself the door. He calls himself the door. Does this mean Jesus is made of wood? or um, aluminum, or almako, you know. No, he isn't. He's speaking figuratively. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you following this? So number two, see the text as figurative when it obviously is. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm looking at my time. Finally, number three. Okay, you know what? Okay, yes, that's finally. Finally, number three. Um, Instances to bypass literal interpretation Number three When the literal meaning Goes contrary To context When the literal meaning Goes contrary To context I have Two scriptures here that I would like to explain But Explaining these two scriptures will take us about one hour to do So Let's pick one you know what? Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter eight. Second Corinthians, chapter eight, from verse one to nine. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Are you there? Praise Jesus. Let's read verse nine first. So verse nine is the verse we want to interpret. Alright. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor, and that ye through and that he through his poverty might be rich. Second Corinthians eight nine again. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I have heard the scripture preached in so many ways, and it's a very amazing scripture. But there's one interpretation that falls short of proper Bible interpretation. And it's the interpretation that Jesus left his heavenly riches, referring to all the gold in heaven. And they proceed to tell you how the Bible tells us that the streets of heaven are lined with gold and other precious stones. And Jesus left all of that riches and became poor. So that you can now inherit all those heavenly riches. Alright, and you will inherit those heavenly riches while you are here on earth. Make no mistakes, I really do believe that God prospers and God favors. Alright, but that's not what this verse is telling you about. How do I know? Let's start reading from verse 1. So I told you, when the literal meaning goes contrary to context. Verse 1, praise Jesus. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, Bestowed on the children of Macedonia. So, Paul is saying that we would like you to pay attention, take note of the grace of God bestowed on the children of Macedonia. He's about to tell you what this grace is in verse 2 How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So you have Paul in verse 2 telling you that this church was so poor. He calls it, he calls it in the, in the, in, in the affliction of the abundance. So there was an affliction and he calls it the deep, their deep poverty. You know, <laughs> you know, somebody is poor when you need to add an adjective to describe the poverty. When you say, oh, I'm poor, I'm broke. You know, there's, I'm broke, so you still have some money in your account, but you know, you're not as buoyant as you used to be. Then there's, I am very broke. You are still you still have a little bit of money, but it's not as much as before. Then there's, oh, I'm more. There's, more. I am, ah, broke won't finish me. There's a difference. So there's poverty, abject poverty, and then deep The poverty is deep. They were deeply poor. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Paul said, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty (laughs) abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So Paul is telling you that this is the grace that God gave to them. That though they were poor to stupor, They were also very rich in giving. Do you understand this? And he's telling the church in Corinth, pay attention to that grace. Though they were deeply poor, they didn't have so much. They were very poor. But it abounded to the richness or the liberal. He says, he calls it the the riches of their liberality. They were very generous. Do you see? They were very generous. They give, verse 3. He says, For to their power, I their record, yea, and beyond their power. That is, they gave, you know, there's a thing we say in church Give as the Lord has blessed you. Not the church in Macedonia. They gave as the Lord blessed them, and even much more. You see that? He says, For to their power, I their record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Bring us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. That is, you know what? So this was going on. They would want to give. They would say, oh, apostles, see what we have to give. Take it. The apostles would say, you guys are poor. Paul would look to them. You know, Peter would say, you are poor. Paul would say, you are deeply poor. We are not taking it. And then they would beg the disciples you see that? Verse 4. Pray not with so much entreaty. That is, they were really begging. They were actively saying, please take what we have to give. you understand? you understand this? That we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry into the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So not only did they give their material things, the first thing they did was they gave themselves. All right. Verse 6. In so much, that is, this happened so much that we sent, you know, says, that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace. So he's teaching the church in Corinth that look at the church in Macedonia. These people are deeply um, liberal, they give a lot. And we looked at Titus and we said to Titus, you know what would be nice? Go to Corinth and teach them to do the same. Verse 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything, that is, as we see you grow in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love towards see that you abound also in this grace. So, Paul is saying, speaking tongues, that's great. Cast out devils, amazing. Know all doctrine, that's very good. Have faith to move mountains, I love it. But I also want to see you become good givers. You follow? Verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, that is, I'm not commanding you now, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, the entire chapter cannot be talking about giving in poverty. Verse 9 will not be telling you that God tried to make you rich. It doesn't add up. Rather, what Paul is teaching you by telling you, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, forsook his riches, that by him, by his poverty, you might become rich. He's talking about the attributes of sacrifice. Because that was what was commendable in the Macedonian church. They were sacrificial. And so if they were sacrificial, you too should be sacrificial. And he's now saying, I'm not just commanding you to be sacrificial because I feel like. He's saying, I'm teaching you because you can see Jesus too was sacrificial. So, obviously, the literal interpretation of verse 9 goes contrary to the context. The context is talking about sacrifice and poverty. You know, that is poverty giving even when there's not so much to give. Then verse 9 the literal interpretation of the sign is saying, Jesus left the heavenly riches, gold, and all of that, so that you can have gold. You see, they conflict. Unless you now understand, he's actually speaking in line with what he has been saying since. You understand? Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. The second, the second portion of scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 1 to 18. That will take some time to explain, so we won't touch it today. But I've done so many teachings on Second Corinthians three one to eighteen. Um, so verse eighteen says, "But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God." Um, actually, it's verse seventeen that we need to interpret. It Says, "Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." And a lot of people will tell you, "Ah, I've heard a lot of praise worship singers. Um, you know, you want to, you want to spur people to dance. You want, to, you want to." In, in local parlance, you want to ginger them. You want to ginger their ginger. Say, dance for your God. Go ahead and free yourself up. Because in the, you are in the house of the Lord. This is your Father's house. And in the presence of the Lord, there is freedom. There is liberty. Now that's the obvious interpretation. But if you read through from verse 1 to verse 18, you would realize that what Paul was actually teaching you is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's no limit to revelation. You understand? Paul was teaching you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is no limit to revelation. Hallelujah. Praise Hallelujah. God. Let's stop here for today. Um, next week Wednesday, I will continue and I will teach you, I will speak to you about um, studying in context. Always interpreting the Bible in context amongst other Um, Bible study guides, alright? But for today, we've talked about how literal interpretation of scripture is the way to go. Father, we thank you for um, the teaching of your word. We thank you for the privilege to fellowship together like this. We thank you because we have learned so much, and we grow as we learn. Hallelujah. Father, we pray that these things that we have learned will find full expression in our lives, and they will make our Bible study lives better. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen and amen.